Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. So I really hope you'll just hang with me this morning. We're going to dig deep into this. I am excited this morning. If, you've, if you have been in on our Life Academy over the last couple of weeks, then you're already recognizing a word, very important word for my title is proximity. Uh, this whole first, se- first semester, it's easy for you to say, is, uh, was, is being built around the idea of proximity. And getting ready for this Sunday, I just could not get out of it. Everything I read right now talks about proximity and the importance. And, uh, so we're going to continue this. But he began to show it to me in, in a different way uh, in preparation for today. And I just want to be honest with you and kind of let you know how I got to this point. Uh, just with so much, it must sound bad, both sound people are leaving right now. Uh, it, to get to this point, there's just so much going on, and, and when you're in a leadership position and, and, and you, you deal with a lot of people and there's a lot going on, there's a lot of moving parts, let's put it that way. And it's very easy to direct all your attention towards the logistics and the making things work right and run right and, and operate, to, to have these Sunday services, Wednesday, Wednesday nights, all these things that we have, it takes a lot of logistics. It takes a lot of moving parts, a lot of workers, a lot of things, and there's just been a lot going on. So that has really been the focus and the desire of getting things in order and working things out and all this kind of stuff. But I got to a point this week where... I really felt like Holy Spirit had one of those sit down, let's have a talk moments. You know what I'm talking about? I remember uh, when I was in school growing up and my dad would come in and say, we need to talk. Usually wasn't good. You know what I mean? You remember those moments? It was probably I'd done something stupid and he found out about it. Uh, but, but this week for me, it was kind of like that with the Holy Spirit. It was one of those moments of him saying, look, we need you to sit down. Let's talk. Let's work through some things. And so as I began to work through this personally and, 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 and figure this thing out, then once I was turned back in the right direction, he began to let me know what he wanted to say to the family today. Uh, Dad started off awesome with this about family. Y'all know that's been our, our just push here for so long. We just love family. Uh, and as he was talking, I just couldn't help but think about something that we've been saying here for a while now is that here at Life Church, we're not evaluating your past, but we're celebrating your future. This is family, and we're so glad you're here with us. So as a family, I want to share some stuff with you that I learned this week. So I hope you got your pen and paper, and we're ready to get into this topic. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10, and Nisha, I'm going to start in verse 38. It's a very uh, well-known story. Uh, almost kind of an abstract story, something just kind of off, off the wall in a way. Uh, but it's so important. There's so much to be learned. So I hear some pages turning, so I'll give you all a chance to get there. Uh, I am young, but I like the fact that people bring Bibles. I use my iPad and my phone a lot, but it's pretty cool to hear pages turn. I'm not going to lie. Uh, Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now it happened as they went, that's Jesus and his disciples, that he, Jesus, entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister is lazy? I added that, that was me. She left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her, 
She's got to help me. And Jesus answered, as he always does in some awesome response, and said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now, I want you to understand something about this story. Because what happens is too many times we just read through this stuff. And this isn't one of the times where Jesus is performing some crazy miracle. So it's very easy for us to move beyond it. But can I challenge you and tell you that the disciples were more impacted by the everyday life and teaching than they were the miracles? Can I tell you that it was the moments where they saw him react and respond to people that had the biggest impact on their life? This moment had to have been so huge for the disciples. For one, think of this. John tells us that if all that Jesus did was written down, that every book in the world couldn't contain it. That's how much Jesus did in his three and a half years of ministry. So if this is the case, and according to John, Luke only gets to write a certain number of things that Jesus did. Why did he pick this story instead of some crazy miracle? Imagine how many people he raised from the dead, healed the blind eyes, all these crazy things that were happening. And Luke is so impacted, sitting on the floor in Martha and Mary's house, that he says, this has to be written down. This moment has to be recorded. So I need you to understand the importance of where we're at on on our Monday night teachings as well. We're in a very abstract story, I, I feel, where Jesus curses the fig tree. And the same thing applies. Jesus is talking to a fig tree, and it makes it into the Bible. It's the importance of the things that were happening between the big moments. See, I feel like there's something to be learned here because some of you are always just waiting on the big moment. When in reality, the greatest impact you have is the everyday life process. Your kids are not building their thoughts about you based on the times you take them to Excalibur. They're building their thoughts about you based on the everyday life at home. So that's why we can't just every couple weeks take our kids out, do something fun, and think we're going to win the parenting award. Man, I'm going to deal with parenting and marriage today, and it's going to be awesome. It's not in the big moments. It's in the how you were going to respond to this situation. This was a moment where Jesus was given the opportunity to respond to a situation. He wasn't praying for someone. He wasn't preaching. He wasn't teaching. He was merely responding. Maybe it's our response that's molding our children. So if this is the case, and this was so important, as a matter of fact, I believe this moment right here was so important to the disciples that in Acts, we see them build the church model around this moment. Sounds crazy, don't it? But we see in the church of Acts, they get so busy, they're growing so crazy, there's so much serving to be done. But they remembered an instance where Jesus tells Martha she's distracted with the serving and she needs to be sitting, so what did they do? They found spirit-led men to take care of the serving so they could take care of the sitting. I need y'all to to feel the weight of this, this moment. This experience was teaching the disciples such an important lesson that I believe would impact them greater 
even than some of the miracles that were performed. I believe that this moment was a platform, a catalyst, a connection to the teaching, to me, some of my favorite teaching that Jesus does to his disciples that we find in John chapter 15. So I want to jump over there, and we're just going to read a few scriptures uh, out of this teaching. John 15 is, it is a loaded chapter. If you haven't went and did any study in John, you need to. As a matter of fact, look at this. This is ridiculous, ain't it? You almost can't read it because of all the stuff that's on it. But that's how loaded this chapter is. There's so many things to pull out. So I want to show you the connection of this moment where Jesus is living out what he's teaching in this moment. John 15. Uh, Nisha, let's just start in one, and we'll read this. I think it's the first eight verses. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, which actually means to pull up close to him. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Or you, have, or you can read that, you are already pruned because of his word. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. So I know the question now is probably, how does John chapter 15 connect to this moment, this, this instance, this encounter, this response that we're reading about in Luke 10 with Mary and Martha? With Mary and Martha, we see Jesus presenting the importance of sitting down, being focused, not being distracted with what has to be done. Here in John 15, Jesus is putting the emphasis on abiding and not being distracted with producing fruit. Even though the production of fruit has to be done, it, we just learned it's what brings glory to God. The fruit can only be a result of the abiding, not the striving. Just like Martha, the serving should be a result of sitting, not a distraction from the sitting. To me, this is true discipleship. True discipleship is you get saved, you join a family, and we just teach you how we learn to sit. The problem is, in most churches, we're so serve-driven that instead, as soon as you get saved, I need to put you to work. Therefore, a lot of immature Christians end up with weighty positions, and it burns them out, breaks them down, and they usually give up. When in reality, Jesus didn't bring the disciples in and say, now i got to figure out what you're going to do. No, he brought the disciples into the family and had them sit down around a campfire. He had them sit down around the dinner table. He had them sit down on the mountain and listen to what he was saying. He was constantly sitting them in a position so that they could absorb what he was given. And then when the time came, then they had something to do and they had something to say. We have to understand that the picture he is trying to paint with Mary and Martha is, he said, one thing is needed. One thing. He said, Mary has chosen the one thing that you need. What you need as a new Christian is to learn how to sit and listen to Jesus. You don't need behavior modification because if you listen to what Jesus is saying, you would just begin to live like he's talking. 
I'm just going to take my time with this this morning. The problem is we're trying to bend our lives to what people are telling us instead of sit our lives and hear what he's telling us. It's got to be work. It's got to be work. It's got to be work. There's stuff to be done. There's stuff to be, there's a world to be changed. Really? Well, how good is your method changing it? What kind of impact are you having on your, I must serve constantly before, without sitting? We have to understand it started this way. Jesus himself waited 29 years before he started. Let's try to make this connect a little bit better. The word abide. Most of us know it by its Greek word, which is meno, which means to stay in a place, a state, or expectancy. I love this because of what Dad has been preaching over the last several weeks of hope. Hope is that excited expectation that you just know it's going to happen, right? Well, abiding is remaining in a place of expectancy. If you abide in Him, then you live in a hope of knowing He's going to produce fruit. I don't strive and work and beg God to produce fruit in my life. I literally abide in an expectation. And out of that expectation of who he is, he begins to produce peace, love, joy, patience, kindness, long-suffering, self-control. But there's also, it takes it a little further because the word abide also in the Hebrew and the Aramaic is a word pronounced yoshab, which means to sit down. They also use this same word for to marry. So when he said, abide in me, Mary was showing us what that looks like. It says, Mary, who also sat and absorbed everything he was saying. So when he's telling disciples, abide in me, what does that mean? Do what Mary's doing. Sit down, listen, absorb, take this in. Take in everything that's coming from me because when you learn to sit and take in from me, then I'll produce what needs to be produced. Mary, who also sat down, who learned to abide. So what we have here is a picture of Mary abiding. She's chosen to sit down in a place. What place? The place that he was at. To further exhaust the definition, I believe she was sitting in a state of expectancy. She was expecting to receive revelation from Jesus. She was expecting to receive something that would change her life. I could just see her like a child, maybe, maybe on Christmas morning that sits down in front of the presents and just waits for daddy to hand them one. There's such an expectancy of, I'm fixing to receive everything I really desire. I can just see Mary sitting there absorbing and pouring over every word and every emotion while sitting. While sitting in front of him. She was expecting to receive revelation from Jesus that would change everything. And I believe if we follow her life, her life is the testimony that it changed everything. Uh, lastly, the, the Aramaic word for abide also meant to marry which we know to mean enter into covenant with. So could it be that in John 15, when Jesus said, Abide in me and I abide in you, and you will bear much fruit, that he was really saying, If you'll be in covenant with me and I am in covenant with you, then you'll bear much fruit. 
Maybe what we are learning with these two stories combined, the teaching and then the living of Jesus' life, is that his real desire for us is undistracted covenant. What was Mary painting a picture of? Undistracted abiding. You have to understand, when Jesus rolled into town, he was always rolling at least 12 deep. Usually, there was a multitude following those 12. So when he rolls up, walks up, when they walk up to Mary and Martha's house, chances are it's not just a couple people. You have to understand how they operated in this day. So when he shows up with all these people, let me put in perspective for some of you wives. It's like when your husband comes home and throws on you, Oh, by the way, I invited some people over tonight. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're, 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 it turns into a hide everything. If it's not nailed down, throw it in the room and shut the door, right? And, and all of a sudden, so you understand all that starts going on. Plus, to be hospitable would be to serve them some food, make them feel at home. So all of this pressure has just been thrown on Martha. Come on, don't demonize her yet because she represents most of us, all right? So all this pressure has been put on her. I have to take care of a lot of people, and not just a lot of people. It just happens to be a rock star. Can I call him a rock star? Almost sounds sacrilegious. Jesus has shown up. So imagine the pressure of Martha of all that needs to be done. They all need to be taken. They have to have a comfortable place to sit. They need to have food. They need to have something to drink. I need to make sure it stays full. I need to make sure all these things. That, there's tons of chores that need to be done. They need to be taken care of. So in reality, in a lot of ways, Mary would look like a hero. I mean, Martha would look like a hero to us. She was taking care of everything that needed to be taken care of. And yet when Jesus speaks up, She's distracted. Remember, it was covenant. It's to marry, to, 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 to give fully to, to be undistracted. You want to know something that really hurts covenant? Distraction. You want to know something that's killer on a marriage? Distraction. Let me show you this. The definition of distraction this is not a biblical definition. This is just our English definition. Diverting the attention of an individual from the desired focus. Now, let, catch this. Thereby blocking or diminishing the reception of desired information. It can be caused by a lack of ability to pay attention. Or the attractiveness of something other than the object of attention. Distractions can be external and internal. Now, based on covenant, I believe the obvious definition of this is the attractiveness of something other than. That's killer on a marriage. I'm just telling you guys, if you're attracted to another woman, it's going to hurt your marriage. Let's just be real, right? But I don't believe this is the most popular distraction. It is evident, and it happens. We see it all the time. I believe the most common distraction in a covenant relationship 
and probably one that is just as destructive, is the second one. Diverting the attention from the desired focus, creating a lack of ability to pay attention. Y'all are quiet today. See, I don't believe most men are attracted to other women and they end up stepping out. But I do believe that a lot of us men have become so distracted with providing for your wife that you lack the ability to pay attention to her. In a way, we've become so distracted with serving, providing, that we forgot to be married. Well, I bring home the check. Lots of guys bring home checks only for their wives to leave. You have to understand that in covenant, the killer is the distraction. Have you lost the ability to pay attention to the one that you're supposed to be focused on? Have we lost the ability? Have we been distracted with the serving? Well, I take care of the house and I clean and I do this and I yeah, but are you in, are you married to them? Because roommates live together and clean house. It's the covenant. It's the relationship. It's the can I pay attention? to what you're doing and what you're saying and what you're needing. And I'm just approaching this from a man's point of view because I'm not brave enough to try to figure out how women think. But as a man, one of our greatest distractions is provision. Right? Well, we're providing. We're providing. We're providing. What came first, providing or covenant? Let's throw out some questions like Dad did. See, we've become distracted, and it's killing the covenant. It's, it's hurting the marriage. So now understanding that and seeing that in such an applicable life situation, now let's go back to our story where Martha was distracted with serving. You know, if this story, as I mentioned earlier, if this story didn't involve Jesus, we would probably paint Martha as the hero. We would have come up with a really cool slogan like, she's got a servant's heart, right? And we would have probably put a badge on her because she was doing so many awesome things. But because this is Jesus, and he is so countercultural, and always deals with the posture of your heart, he says she's distracted. See, Jesus only responds, reacts, and deals with your heart posture. So even though on the outside she was doing so many good things and taking care of what needed to be taken care of, Jesus looked into her and said, you're distracted. You're distracted. You don't, you don't really understand what's going on. You're, you're being hindered from receiving the desired information. You know, I'm going to be a little bold here. And I'm going to say that a lot of work work that is celebrated in our churches is really just distracted busyness. I think it's distracted people who haven't learned to sit down but have learned to do the work, go through the motions. Is it work that needs to be done? By all means, yes. They needed to be served. They needed to be taken care of. It was polite to be hospitable. It, was, it needed to be done. But, are we, but in our doing and our serving, are we being distracted from what's really needed? 
I believe Jesus is more interested in a handful of people who will sit with him undistracted than a multitude of people who can organize a bunch of work. I'm going to say that again. I believe Jesus is more interested in a handful of people who will sit with him undistracted than a multitude of people who can organize a bunch of work. Uh, there's a uh, pastor, Mike Bickle, who says there's two types of people in the church, workers and lovers, and the lovers usually get a lot more work done than the workers. Let that sink in for a minute. Another translation of this story, the passion to be exact because it's awesome, says that she was exasperated because of all, taking care of all the chores. She was exasperated with all that had to be done. And I'm pretty simple, so I had to go look up the definition of exasperated, which means to become annoyed or irritated. Almost as if to show us that when we get distracted with the needs that have to be done, we usually get annoyed or ir irritated by what people are doing or not doing. That's right. yeah. This is just good stuff. <laughs> if the people around you start to become your focus, then you know your attention has been diverted from the desired area of focus, which is sitting down with Jesus. You want to know who wasn't annoyed with Mary? The other people sitting down. I'm going to let that sink in for a second. Some of you, some of us, are very annoyed and irritated with what people are doing or not doing. If so, it's probably because we're not one of the ones sitting. Because I can't imagine any of the other disciples were saying, can you believe Mary, she's sitting here? She's just sitting here and all this work needs to be done? No. The only one irritated was the one that was distracted. So maybe we need to do some personal inventory and begin to ask, have I been irritated and annoyed with the people around me? Have I been annoyed with those around me and what they're doing? Because if so, it's probably because I've become distracted. And when I'm not looking at him, I'm looking at you and you're annoying. Come on now. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? No one else noticed because no one else was looking at Mary. Man. Come on, we're talking about proximity and distraction here. See, when they were sitting within proximity of Jesus, all they could see was him. But Mary, I mean Martha, I'm sorry, had distance between her and Jesus. Jesus was up there and she was, so all she could see was Mary. The problem is you got too many people between you and Jesus. You need to start working your way in and say, I want to be so close that I'm no longer distracted with what you're doing. Remember I told you Holy Spirit had to sit me down this week and say, we need to talk. You know why we needed to talk? I was distracted with what people were doing or not doing. And because of it, can I just be honest with y'all? Yeah, I'm the pastor here, but I'm human just like you. And I was annoyed. I was going to pastor saying, you know what I would do? <laughs> and he was saying, what you need to do is sit down and shut up. But I had found myself in that place. Benny is with me. I can feel you, Benny. <laughs> I was in that place of becoming distracted with what you were doing or not doing. But to see you, I had to quit looking at him. Man, this stuff has helped me this week. I hope it helps y'all. 
The others that were sitting down focused on Jesus were not upset or annoyed. You know, I feel like a lot of times we start off really strong. We have a God experience. We hear a message or something that stirs us up. But our attention gets diverted by something. And before we know it, we aren't able to receive the desired information that Abba is trying to give us. He's constantly trying to give us information for the situation that we're in. But when I come distracted, I can't receive that information. So then I begin to create information based on the people around me. And that information usually leaves me irritated. Let me show you a picture of this. Uh, Jesus was so good about teaching everything he did. That's why I loved him so much. You notice he did it and he taught it. He taught it and he did it. Luke 8 and 14. Nisha, don't pull it up. I'm going to read it out of the Passion, okay? Luke 8 and 14 out of the Passion Translation. This is the, the parable of the, uh, when the sower. Most of you have heard it's sown on several different types of ground, and Jesus tells it. Well, later the disciples pull him to the side and say, we need you to explain this. And this is Jesus explaining the parable of the sower. But I want to pull out one type of ground he talked about, and I believe this is him teaching exactly what we're dealing with this morning. Uh, Luke eight fourteen, The seed that falls into the weeds represents the hearts of those who hear the manifestation of God, but their own growth is quickly choked off by their own anxious cares and by the riches of this world and the fleeting pleasures of this life. Now catch this last part. Man, you that are on our Monday night class tomorrow, we are going to work this. This is why they never become mature and fruitful. God, it's loaded. Let's look at it again. The seed that falls into the weed represents the hearts of those who hear the manifestation of God. You have an experience, you have an encounter, you're in that moment, but your growth becomes choked out by your own anxious cares and the riches of this world and the fleeting pleasures of this life. See, I believe we've been so quick to use this scripture to tee off on people who are immature and unfruitful because of their love of money and the desire of this world. But in reality, we've only done that to skip over our own anxious cares. The first thing he names that chokes out the word of God in your life is your own anxious cares. This is crazy because we know the word of God to be the most powerful thing there is. There is nothing stronger than the word of God. And when I become distracted with the own cares of my life, it chokes out the most powerful thing in my life. Remember, distracted is being, having your attention diverted so that you can't receive the necessary information. What information? The Word of God, the seed of God. When I become distracted, I can't receive the seed. And when I don't receive the seed, I don't produce the fruit. Let me show you something awesome right here. I'm so excited about this part. Anxious cares. I was actually struggling to make all this work together, uh, put all these pieces together to get this message going. And I think it was Friday. So I'm talking, it's almost Sunday, and I'm super nervous because this is just not making sense. And I went home to get ready, and, and my mind was all over the place. We had so much going on, and all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit just clearly spoke to me and reminded me of this scripture. Uh, it's choked out by the cares of life. So I come back over here. I wrote it down on my phone. I come back over here and just went to digging into this. And I begin to dig into this word, or this phrase, anxious cares, which took me into the word care. And when you read it in, in Strong's Expanded and Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible, it's the Greek word merimna, which comes from a root word merizo, and means, y'all ready for this? To draw in different directions 
to distract and to disunite. It means exactly what we're talking about today. Your own cares of life and dealing with the day in and day out moments, when they become anxious cares that you are distracted with, it draws you away and disunites you. This is just Bible, y'all. So what is he telling us here? That when we become distracted with the things of this life, it has the potential to choke out the word that he is speaking into you. Remember the definition for distract, to divert your attention so that you can't receive the desired information. So when our distractions choke out what he is saying, we don't become mature and we never produce fruit. So it, I believe it's not a stretch of the mind to say your lack of, the lack of fruit in your life is probably due to the presence of distraction in your life. The reason we're not maturing and producing the fruit that he expects us to produce is because we've become so distracted with either the cares of life, it says riches. Some of us are so distracted with our bank account that we can't even mature. Some of us are so distracted with the things around us that it's choking out the thing within us. We have allowed everything around us to govern what's within us. When in reality, what's within us has the power to change everything around us. But when I have been distracted, and it, the, the definition, the, the Greek word said it, 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 it draws away from each other. Well, that's the exact opposite of the proximity that we're talking about. So when my distraction draws me away from him. We learned in John 15 that unless I abide in him, I can do nothing. I can't produce fruit. Yes, sir. I can't be a good person. Yes, sir. Let's just be real. And so we've, we've been on this demon hunt. I have to bind every demon in my life. And I'm not against it. I'm not downplaying it. I understand the war that's going on. But I would be willing to bet that most of the time it's not some awesome schemes from Satan. He's got important things to worry about. A lot of time, it's our inability to pay attention. It's the fact that we're immature and distracted. See, I know when I'm speaking to these youth on Wednesday nights, i got to keep my message at about anywhere from 20 to 28 minutes. Anything after that, they're gone. Why? They're immature and they're distracted. I love you guys so much. Come back Wednesday night. But let, let, help me prove this point. See, look, they're already checked out. After about 20, 28 minutes or so, it's over. Why? Because they're immature. I mean that in the nicest way. I'm not caught off guard when young people are distracted due to their immaturity. But something is different when adults, grown-ups, become, as Dad preached, children in the workplace. And we're so distracted with life, we can't mature or produce fruit. Our distractions have choked out what he's wanting to say and do. In our, it's deterred us from the ability to receive the necessary information that he's trying to get within us. Which brings us back around to John 15, 7 and 8. If you abide in me, now catch this, he changed it this time. And my words 
abide in you. You will ask what you desire. What is his words? That's the desired information that he's trying to get into your life. But if you're distracted, his word does not abide in you. And when it doesn't abide in you, you cannot be fruitful. You will not produce. The Bible, this even says you won't mature. I want to I kind of wrap this up with this, this idea. As I was looking through this, he began to really show me and just highlight to me the fact that these distractions, a lot of them are external. They're the cares of life, the situations we're in, the things that are going on, our spouses, our whatever it is, our jobs. All this stuff becomes distractions. But he also began to show me the importance that some distractions are internal. And it don't ha- you could have the best life we can tell of, awesome job, great family, and still be totally distracted inside. Fear. Anxiety, worry, jealousy. These are all things that are internal distractions that choke out the word of God within you. I told this to Colby the other day and it's just stuck with me. Have you ever been driving home somewhere and you get almost to the house and it's like all of a sudden you click and realize, how did I get here? I don't remember none of this trip. Who was driving? You ever been there? You ever done this? And you're like, I've made that trip a thousand times and I can't tell you one thing I passed. I don't remember anything. You know what that was? It was an internal distraction. And you were still doing exactly what you always do. You just totally missed the journey. See, most of us are all just going through the motions, but we're so internally distracted, we've missed the entire trip. Internal distractions. We have to quit being so distracted that we miss out on the journey. The journey is the beauty of it. The the process is what's awesome. Heaven's going to be phenomenal, and it's going to be awesome when we get there. But if we're so distracted with heaven, we'll miss what we're supposed to do on earth. So I want you to just take inventory of your own life. What are some internal distractions that are causing you to miss the journey? See, sometimes what's going to happen is we'll be so internally distracted, one day we'll turn around and realize, wow, my kids are grown. I totally missed that journey. I totally missed those experiences. I didn't invest. I didn't spend time. I didn't commit. Whatever it may be. Your spouse, your relationships of the friends around you, one day you're going to stop and say, man, I was so distracted with my own worry and fear and jealousy and uh, insecurities, whatever they may be, those internal distractions that you don't even pay attention to the awesome journey that we're on. Jesus taught the disciples so many life lessons in the journey. It was the everyday life applications of being in the marketplace, sitting down to dinner, going through all the things. So he was teaching them such a profound lesson in this moment that if you will abide, if you will sit down and be undistracted, if you will remain in undistracted proximity to me, you'll mature, you'll produce fruit, you'll walk in the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, all these amazing things. The kingdom of God, which is righteousness, joy, and peace. All this is available, but I feel like we're missing out on so much because our attention has been deterred and we're not receiving the the desired information. We've become attracted to something other than the desired focus. The desired focus was to sit at his feet and listen to what he was saying. 
But Martha became distracted with what needed to be done. Now, to make this as simple as possible, Brother Steve, do you mind coming up and playing? Thank you. To make this as simple as possible and just bring this into a, a level that I believe we've all dealt with, and maybe this is a good place for us to just begin. How many times, how many times have, has this been the description of your prayer life? Wow. Yeah, I'm in here and I'm going through the motions, but in reality, all I can think about is everything that needs to be done. Sometimes I have to go hide somewhere and pray because being here all the time and working here and taking care of everything that has to be done here on the property, if I'm praying here, I'm constantly focused on everything that needs to be done. So I'll have to go find me somewhere I can hide where I don't know what has to be done in that place. Now, I know this sounds super simple, but imagine how many of you have ever talked to someone and while you're carrying on a conversation with them, they're doing something on their phone. Can we be real? How annoying is that? You don't know how many times I've wanted to slap the phone out of somebody's hand. I'm like, do you hear me speaking? And I'm a youth pastor, so y'all have no idea. But you know what it is? It's them being distracted with something else that needs to be done. Whatever it may be, a text, a Snapchat, it's something that needs to be done in that moment, and they feel like that's the best time to do it. Do you not feel that the Father is the same way? That while I'm in prayer and I'm in conversation with Him, in reality I'm, oh my God, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. I need to take care of this. I need to take care of, oh yes, thank you Jesus, you're so good. It's our lives, y'all. It's our lives. I believe where we're at in that moment of our prayer lives is just a subconscious picture, so to speak, of what our lives are actually like. I believe our prayer lives are the greatest representation of our actual lives than anything. I believe how you are when I run into you somewhere in the world is a lot less representative of you than how you are when you're in prayer. So I believe our prayer lives and the fact that we're so distracted we can't even sit and connect and listen and have conversation is a representation of how, we, how distracted we are in our lives. And this is on so many levels. Yes, the ultimate is the spiritual side of this, but it's so applicable into everything. It's in your marriage. It's with your kids. Just, just a little while back, I was laying in my son's room, and he come in there and found me. Dad, come play with me. Come play with me. I was like, all right, I came in there. I laid down the bed, we played for a minute, and next thing I knew, it was like I could just see it happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could see what was taking place. And I was laying on the bed looking at something on my phone, and he was just playing around me. Now, to him, he didn't care. He was just happy I was around. But I felt so much conviction. I was so convicted that he asked me to do one thing, and I was so distracted I couldn't do the one thing he wanted me to do. And it hurt. It hurt. I was Oh, I wanted to throw that phone against the wall, but they're expensive, so I didn't. I put that phone down. And now every time I go into his room, that's what I think about. I don't want to be distracted. I don't want to be focused on everything else. Right now is between me and him and nothing else. Undistracted relationship. Undistracted relationship. I wasn't... So I'm just being honest, I wasn't really sure how to just kind of wrap this up and end it, but I, I don't want to leave without giving you an opportunity to just, just maybe set, reset your focus. 
If you want to come up here to an altar, these altars are open to you. You can come pray. If you want to get with somebody here in the crowd next to you, if you want to come to a leader, whatever you need to do right now, but I feel like we need to take a moment and let's just reset our attention. Let's take a moment and sit down, abide, and begin to say, God, all eyes on you. Just, Just all eyes on you. So I'm going to ask Brother Steve just to play, sing for a little bit, whatever he wants to do, and just give us all a moment as a family to refocus. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.